Acts 13, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Sunita Ponton. About a year and a half ago, I was at a dinner party. I was the guest of a friend, and um, we got on the topic of Christianity somehow. And I had always been taught that you never talk about religion at work. And since I was the guest of a friend, I figured I really did not need to venture out into this conversation too much. But um, lo and behold, all of a sudden the, the conversations just started getting deep and people were sharing their experiences about how they came to believe in God, specifically Jesus Christ. And one man said something that I had never heard before, but what I thought was so compelling. He, he talked about how he had grown up in a Christian home, um, but somewhere along the line, he had become a skeptic. And so he eventually um, began studying church history, and all of a sudden, it sort of just hit him in the face that Christianity had to be true. And he said, after 2,000 years, Christianity had to be true because it had survived for so long. It could not be disproven, and it, it had actually grown. It was a movement so powerful that while there were naysayers that existed in every time in history, the word of God never stopped. It kept going, and it kept growing. I mean, just think about it. What else has survived 2,000 years? And it's still here. And it's still touching hearts and it's still transforming lives. It has touched millions of people in every generation. And I had never heard that explanation before, but it was compelling to me. The gospel is real. Christ is real. Amen? I have proof of him in my own life, and, and I come from a long history of Christians in my family, but we're also a part of this larger history of the church. And that convinces me, and it compels me in my faith. The advancement of the word of God over time and throughout time was a convincing factor for that man that night, and it has helped him accept his faith in Jesus Christ. And as I prepared for this morning message, I kept thinking about that over and over, how important it is that the gospel continues to be spread. So that 2,000 years from now, somebody else will look back and say, yes, it must be real because it's still here. The gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe. And we as Christians are called to share that gospel far and wide. As we continue through the book of Acts, we are seeing the movement of the gospel as propelled by the Holy Spirit. And, and even though the church is facing persecution, we see that the word of God continues to flourish and to spread. Today we'll be looking at Paul's first missionary journey, and it serves as an example of how the gospel message continues to serve not just geographically, meaning outside of Jerusalem, but also ethnically, beyond the Jews, also to the Greeks or what we would call the Gentiles. This is the history of how our faith spread. But what does this history have to do with us today? So, so why are we studying Paul's first missionary journey. Because it's a reminder of how the word of God advances over time. So the question of, to us is how do I advance the gospel? How 
how do I propel the word of God? How do I make it so that 2,000 years from now, somebody will still believe that Jesus is Lord? Amen? Pastor Kevin Butcher said it this way last week. How am I battling alongside Jesus for the lives of his children? So come with me this morning. We are going to be looking at Acts chapter 12, verse 24, just that one verse, and then Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles, please take them out with me or use your app, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. We're looking at Acts chapter 12, verse 24, and then chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. And just just to give you a little bit of a heads up, chapter 12 is a bit of a digression. It tells the story of Herod's demise. You remember that last week from Pastor Kevin. Um, And chapter 13 actually picks up from chapter 11, but we see in chapter 12 that nothing can stop the word of God, not even this evil head of state. So chapter 12, verse 24, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Now chapter 13, verses one through three. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we are introduced to the church at Antioch, and this church began after Stephen was killed. Because of the persecution, believers left Jerusalem. But just because they left the region, it doesn't mean that they left their faith behind. They they took their faith with them and they started churches in whatever location they settled in. So that's how we have the church at Antioch. They preached to the Jews, but then also to the Gentiles. The Antioch church was the first church to preach to the Gentiles. And they were the first to send missionaries out to the larger world. They really took a hold of what the Lord was doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood the vision of God. And within this church, we see prophets and teachers, right? There's Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menean, and Paul. And don't miss the diversity of this group. Barnabas is from Cyprus. Simeon and Lucius are from Africa. Menean was a Roman elite. And then you had Saul, who had been a Pharisee from Tarsus. And these men are prophets and teachers. They they speak an inspired word from God to edify the community. God reveals himself to them. So these prophets and these teachers, along with the entire congregation, are participating in worshiping and fasting and praying. And you hear the Holy Spirit tell them to set apart Barnabas and Saul. And so that's where we are in verses 4 through through 12. The two of them, Barnabas and Saul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Pathos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. 
Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So, little fun fact here, this is the first time we see Saul called Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name, and Paul is his Roman name. So going forward, you're only going to see Saul referenced as Paul unless he's talking about his, his time before. Um, Paul's name will now be matched up with Barnabas's, and it's a reminder that we're moving beyond like Peter and the first church and the first apostles to Paul and Barnabas spreading the word to the Gentiles. It's a literary device we find in, inside of the text. So, so what, what does this matter? Why is this important? Because Paul and Barnabas go about advancing God's message. So how can we be a part of that movement? How can we be a part of advancing the gospel message right now in 2019? The first thing we can do if we want to be used by God to advance the gospel is to create an atmosphere for the Lord to speak to us. Create an atmosphere for the Lord to speak to us. Look at verses one through three. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Did you notice what the congregation was doing? They were worshiping and fasting and praying, they had created an atmosphere for the Lord to speak to them. Worship, fasting, and prayer sets our hearts and our minds toward God. They move us away from our own situations so that they can, our minds can be rightly placed onto God. Worship takes our focus off of our cares and concerns and places them on God. Fasting teaches us to discipline our bodies, to replace the, the physical urges with spiritual replenishment. Prayer humbles us. It reminds us that we can't do it all by ourselves, that we are completely dependent on God. These three practices, the, the worship and the, and the fasting and the prayer, create an environment for the Lord to speak to us. Now, this does not mean that God only speaks when we do these things, of course not. And it also does not mean that this is some magic formula that if you put worship, fasting, and prayer together, God is guaranteed to speak to you every single time. This is not a way to manipulate God. What it means is that we have placed ourselves in a position to hear God's voice more clearly. I believe that God is always at work and God is always speaking, but somehow we've become too busy and too loud and too uninterested to hear from him. And we all know this intuitively. When you really want to hear from God, you somehow are able to, to push everything out of the way 
so that you can focus on God and pray. Many of you have developed the discipline of fasting. And so, especially when there's an important decision to be made or you're really praying about something specific, you will fast. Some of you only come to worship when there's really a tough time going on and you know that you need to be in the presence of God. There's something in us that tells us that if we maybe reach out to certain people whose lives seem a little bit more holy than ours, that maybe they can get a prayer across to God. We're creating space so that we can hear from God. This is so important for us as Christians. And not just we do these things when we just want to hear about something specific, but as Christians, we should make this a normal rhythm of our lives so that we can hear from God even before we begin praying about something specific. What do I mean by this? In the book of Acts, we see God take the initiative in every new development the church does. God planted the seed inside of the church of Antioch. Because they were in a posture of listening for God, God could speak to them and plant this seed inside of them. Now, there was a time in my life when I felt like God was constantly telling me no. Pastor Peter spoke about it a few weeks ago, about praying earnestly, and that one response we hear from God can be no. And that can be painful. I've gone through that season, and it wasn't fun at all. I prayed about guys I wanted to date, and God said no. I prayed about jobs I wanted to take, and God said no. I prayed to get out of Inglewood permanently. And you all know the answer to that prayer. <laughs> I would ask God for things that I wanted, things that I was already doing that I wanted him to bless. And I kept hearing God say no or leave. And it was heartbreaking for me. These were obviously things that God did not want for me, but it was hard for me to accept. I interpreted it as God just being mean and taking everything away from me. But it never occurred to me to just listen and be open to the yes God actually had for me. It never occurred to me to say, God, what do you want from me? What way should I go? It never occurred to me not to go to God with an agenda, to just be open to what his spirit had to say to me. When we come to God with open hands and no agenda, we release ourselves to hear from him. Worship, prayer, and fasting remind us to submit to the lordship of Christ in our lives. We have to create an atmosphere for God to speak. But another aspect to what we see here at the Church of Antioch is the perennial question we all ask, God, what do you want me to do? We have questions about our purpose and, and how God can use us. We have questions about how God will use us. And I, I don't want you to miss what happens here. This passage shows us the importance of fasting and prayer in community. The community helped discern God's will for Paul and Barnabas. Not only were they spiritually prepared, but so was the church community. 
Too often we look for our purpose in isolation. But here we see the communal aspect involved with discerning God's will for a person. The Holy Spirit works through the church to equip Barnabas and Paul and to send them out on mission. Stop trying to discern God's will for your life in isolation. Ask people to pray for you and to pray with you. And know that it takes time. Paul had been converted for about 14 years before he was called into this missionary journey. He had been in relationship with Jesus Christ for 14 years before he sent on this mission. Think about that. And if you remember Paul's story, you already know that he was a great teacher, that he had already been a public figure, that he was a teacher of the law, and he was quite prominent, but he doesn't do anything for 14 years. Rather, he submits his gift to God until God is ready for him. Sometimes we can become so anxious when we haven't heard from God. It doesn't mean you don't have any gifts. We all do. It doesn't mean God has forgotten about you. He hasn't. It doesn't mean God doesn't want to use you. He does. It means that you need to be patient and persistent. Waiting on God's timing can be difficult, but it will come. I truly believe that there are so many untapped gifts in this congregation, but we don't slow down enough to fast and pray and listen to the Spirit. It's too easy to hide behind programs and money, but God has given each one of us very real gifts that can be used to transform his kingdom when we match our gifts with his purpose and power. When I look at our congregation, I am convinced that there are more women called to pastoral ministry than what's represented on our staff. I am convinced that there are more missionaries than Scott and Christina Kwok. I am convinced that there are more teachers and more worship leaders. I am convinced that there are more people who have the the gift of hospitality to serve. There are more people with administrative gifts that can help support our ministries. We just sang, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Take me deeper. What if? What if? What if we actually meant what we sang? that we would go wherever God called us. There are so many gifts represented in this congregation, but we have to be willing to create a space for the Holy Spirit to speak to us as a community and us individually. If we wanna be used by God to spread his gospel message, we have to create an atmosphere for the Lord to speak to us and so that we can hear from him. Next, we have to be willing to use our gifts obediently. We have to be willing to use our gifts obediently. This seems obvious, but it isn't, because God has spoken to some of you and you still have not moved. 
You have refused to be obedient to what God is calling you to do. But look at what Paul and Barnabas do. Look at verses four through six. The two of them, Barnabas and Paul, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled throughout the whole island until they came to Pathos. Barnabas and Paul went where the Holy Spirit was leading them. They went from place to place, preaching God's word in the synagogues. They had the gifts of prophecy and teaching, and they used them to spread the gospel throughout the entire region, just as the Holy Spirit directed them. Our calling, our purpose, is this holy interweaving of, of the divine and the human coming together. And when they come together, we see God's divine will played out in us, his human agents. And it was through their obedience that they came to understand why they had been sent out in the first place. Notice the Holy Spirit didn't give them step-by-step directions. The Holy Spirit told them to be sent apart, set apart, and then it guided them as they traveled. We see the fulfillment of what God wanted them to do through their obedience. Each time they did what the Holy Spirit called them to do, they walked further and further into their purpose and doing what God really wanted for them. God does not always, dare I say, he hardly ever gives us all the steps when he calls us to do something. Rather, we come to understand more and more about our purpose and what God has called us to do when we obediently follow the steps that he does give us. Then, all of a sudden, you look up and you find yourself right where God wanted you to be. Barnabas and Paul were prophets and teachers, and they were able to use those gifts when they encountered Sergius Paulus and Elymas. And it was in this encounter that the purpose for which they had been sent is revealed, and the gospel message goes out. It's here in Cyprus, in Pathos, that they meet Sergius Paulus and Elymas. Looking at verses 6 through 8. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Pathos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Sergius Paulus asked for them because he wants to hear the word of God. And unbeknownst to Paul and Barnabas, there was a desire deep down inside of Sergius Paulus to hear the word of God. There was something in him, this hole in his heart that desired something greater. Now, you may have heard the the term before that there's a a God-sized hole inside of every heart that longs for something beyond ourselves. It's this innate longing inside of the human heart. It desires to be connected to something greater, to to be understood by something greater. It desires a greater purpose and and it wants more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity inside of the human heart. That eternity is God, the everlasting one. 
the beginning and the end, the, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. St. Augustine says it best in his book, Confessions. He's a, he's a church father, and, and speaking about God, he says, but because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Our hearts are restless. They long for God. Do you recognize that feeling of restlessness? Do you recognize that feeling of unsettledness? That feeling of longing, of searching? That's the part of you that yearns for God, even if you don't know it. Sergius Paulus, in our text, had this desire. But sadly, he placed the wrong people and the wrong things around him to fill that space. He allowed himself to be influenced by the sorcery of Elemis. Let me say this, be mindful of the people you keep in your inner circle. Now, this is not to say that you can't have non-Christian friends. Of course you can. You need some people in your life to challenge you. You need some people in your life that you can minister to and, and hopefully um, influence them to build a relationship with Jesus Christ. But be careful of your inner circle. Be careful of the people that you allow to have influence in your decision making. These people need to be God-fearing people. These people need to be a part of that prayer shield that Pastor Peter spoke about a few weeks ago. The people closest to you need to know Jesus so that they can help you follow Jesus. Those are the people who will keep you accountable to God. So, so too often we, we try to fill the God-sized hole in us, that, that restlessness with the wrong people, but also the wrong things. And it can be the things that we often hear about, the, the money, the success, the, the shopping, the power, the sex, or it can be our intellect or our busyness. But nothing will fill the God-sized hole except God. It's like that game, right? You, you can't put the round peg inside of the square hole. It just won't fit. And the Bible reminds us, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. God will meet you if you let him, just as he did with Sergius Paulus in our text. God knew that he had this longing inside of him. That's why in his divine wisdom, he sends Paul and Barnabas into the region. They are gifted with exactly what this man needs. And when called upon, they proclaim God's word to him. Do you know that the kingdom of God is waiting for you to start using your gifts? That you are the answer to someone's prayer if you would just use your gifts. Now, maybe you're not called to be a preacher and you think this excludes you from God's service. Well, it doesn't for two reasons. Number one, the word of God is not only spread through the formal proclamation, you standing on stage with lights, right? You can share the gospel anytime, any place, because all you're doing is sharing what God has done in your life for you. It's just your story. 
You don't need to be a pastor or a preacher or evangelist. You don't need a title. You just need to be you. But number two, we share God's love and the gospel message by using the gifts God has given us for his service. And some of you know where your gifts are already. You're using them at work. You get paid for them at work. Bring them to the church so that you can build up God's kingdom here. If God has given you the gift of hospitality, then use it to, to, to cook a meal for a family that's just coming home from a hospital. Don't you know that it reminds them that they are loved? It reminds them that they are a part of a greater family that cares about them? If you've been called to, 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 to welcome someone in the room, don't you know how important that is? Because we have no idea what people come in with when they walk through those doors. And your smile, you asking how they're doing, you blessing them, could be what keeps them, what gives them hope to continue through the week. It's not babysitting when you're working in student ministries. It's training up a child in the way they should go so when they are old, they will not depart. It's not just a nice thing to do when you advocate for justice. It is advancing God's kingdom here on earth, letting people know that they are not forgotten. If you want to advance the word of God, we, we create an atmosphere to hear from God, but we also use our gifts in obedience to God. And finally, you must stand up to the enemy. Stand up to the enemy. It is our duty to take a firm stand against the enemy. Look at verses 8 through 12. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Bar-Jesus, or Elymas, is described as a, as a charlatan, a trickster. He claimed to be able to predict the future. Though his name is Bar-Jesus, which should mean son of a savior, Paul easily and, and, and accurately identifies him as the son of the devil. He's the enemy of God. He's a false prophet. He claims to know the will of God, but he doesn't. He's actually opposed to God, and this is real. The power of God is real, but demonic forces are real as well. And I believe that, that, that God has given certain people gifts, and they are using their gifts for the wrong purposes. But I also believe that there are people who have no prophetic gifts at all, but rather they, all they want to do is try to con and manipulate you. Do you remember those commercials for the Psychic Friends Network? 
right? It's like you add a West Indian accent and all of a sudden people think it's real. It's the, it's, the, it's the tarot cards and it's the astrology. This is illegitimate at, its, at the least and evil at most. And it is our responsibility as men and women of faith to test the spirits. Does what this person say and do align with the word of God or not? Elemis is a liar and he's not happy. He had a lucrative scheme going next to this man in power. And these Christians were a threat to him. He refused to lose his position. And he wasn't going to give it up without a fight. But what he doesn't realize is that ultimately he's not challenging Paul and Barnabas. He's actually challenging God himself. He is coming against the power of God at work inside of the heart of Sergius Palace. What we see here is not a fight between people. It's not about Elemis versus Paul and Barnabas. What we see here is the fight for a man's soul. This is the enemy versus Jesus. Paul will later write, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces in the, of evil in the heavenly realms. That's how high the stakes are, and that's why we cannot remain silent when the enemy wants to stand in the way of what the Lord wants to do. We have to take a stand. Paul was clear that the Lord's way was the right way. Salvation comes freely and completely without any work on our part. It is the work of Christ and Christ alone. This is the gospel message that Christ died on the cross for our sins so that we can be in right relationship with God. Paul would preach it and he would teach the gospel and he would live it out and he would defend it from anyone who would come against it. He was living out what he will say in Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to take a stand for Jesus. We have to be willing to stand up against the enemy. We say, God, use us. We say, God, use us that we want to see the gospel proclaimed to the world. Well, we need to know that there's gonna be opposition, but God has equipped us to stare the enemy in the face and silence him. God's power is sovereign over all. Paul called Elemis out for what he was, an enemy of God. And Paul declared that the hand of the Lord was against him and that he blinded him. Now, God is probably not going to call any of us to blind someone. But you may be called to silence the person on your job who speaks disparagingly about God or Christians. You may be called upon to help your kids or your friends discern right relationships in their lives. You may need to fight a spiritual battle for your friend or your loved one on your knees in prayer and in fasting. You may need to look that person in the eye, that man or the woman who is causing you hell and say, I am not taking this anymore. 
You may be called, you will be called to stand up against the enemy in some way. And if we want to advance the word of God, we must create this atmosphere for the Lord to speak to us. We must be willing to use our gifts and we must stand up to the enemy. And the wonderful part about it is that the result is not up to us. The result is out of our hands. Sergius Paulus believed, but we have no idea what happened to Elemis. The proof of Paul's prophetic gifting How we know that he was a true prophet is because what he said actually came true in that moment. And that reality, coupled with the teaching that Paul and Barnabas had already given Sergius Paulus, helped him to believe. It must be true. God desires that none of us should perish. And we see that displayed here because there's still time for Elemis to make a decision. His blindness was temporary. And Paul understood the power of blindness for a person's conversion. There is still time for Elemis. There was still time for Elemis, but we don't know what happened to him. Maybe he came to believe in God, maybe he didn't. We cannot control what other people do. We can only be obedient to what God has called us to do. The gospel is indeed the power of salvation for all. And we have to make make it available to all through our lives. You may not have Paul's prophetic gift, but you have your story. And it's your story that advances the gospel. So, since us pastors are always telling you to share your stories, I thought it would be fitting for me to share mine. I grew up in a Christian home from a Christian family. Both sides of the family were Christian. And while you cannot be born into Christianity, it felt that way to me. There was never a time growing up when I didn't believe in God, when I ever questioned him. I always loved Jesus. But then my mother was diagnosed with ALS. And if you're not familiar with ALS, ALS is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It's a degenerative disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and in the spinal cord. All of a person's muscles begin to degenerate until eventually they cannot walk, they cannot talk, they can't swallow, and ultimately they cannot breathe. It's a horrible disease. And up to the point of my mother's illness, God and I were good, but now we had a problem. I wrestled with God, I prayed, I cried, I believed God for the miracle, but it never came. And after she passed away, I rebelled. And I honestly hated God. But what kept even a part of me connected to him was the habit that I had formed as a child of going to church every Sunday. So no matter how mad I was, no matter what I had done on Saturday night, 
No matter what I had done throughout the week, I showed up on Sunday morning and I cried and I was mad and I sat with my arms crossed and I rolled my eyes and I scoffed at everything the pastor said. And slowly, God began chipping away at my hard heart, but I didn't want to hear it. I fought back harder until eventually I couldn't fight anymore. He loved me back to himself when I wanted to pull away and he wouldn't let me go. He took my tears and my yelling and my stomping and he wouldn't let me go. And as much as I fought against him, he fought harder for me. And it wasn't easy. And I wish it could have been another way. It has been 18 and a half years and I still don't know why my mother had to die. But I do know that it is only because of God's grace that I am still alive. Because I didn't think I could live without her. And I didn't think I would ever smile again. And I didn't think that I would ever find purpose in my life, but God showed me that he is my anchor, that he is my strong tower, that he would love me and that he would fight for me, that he would handle my questions and my sorrow and my tears, that he was my hope. And he proved to me what it says in scripture that he gave me beauty for ashes the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. No, it's not always easy, but God has always proven himself to be faithful to me, even when it didn't look like it and it didn't feel like it. Only through God could I have found any kind of peace or, or joy or hope again. Growing up in my, in my church, the, the old people used to sing this song and I didn't really understand it as a child, but now I understand it. The lyrics are simple, real, real, Jesus is real to me. Oh yes, gives me victory. So many people doubt him. I can't live without him. That is why I love him so. He's so real to me. Amen. That's the story that keeps me going. Because the message was proclaimed to me as a child and it wouldn't let me go. That God wouldn't let me go. And that's the message that people need to hear from you. What God has done in your life, what compels you to keep coming here every Sunday. That if God is real to you, that's the story. That's how the message keeps going. That's the gospel message that people need to hear. That when we open ourselves up to hear God speak to us, that when we walk out on faith and use the gifts that God has given us obediently, that we stand up in the face of the enemy when he wants to take us out with death, with grief, whatever it is, 
keep going, that we keep sharing, that we keep believing, because that faith from 2,000 years ago continues to sustain us today. That's how the message is spread. That's how we keep it going. And that's how God is glorified. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, Lord, we thank you that you have never let us go. God, we know that there are people here who fall all across the spectrum of belief. There are some who believe in you with their whole heart, who are completely sold out to you and and just are looking for the next step. Where to go next, God? Where are you sending us now, God? And then there are people on the, the whole other side of the spectrum, Lord God, who aren't even really sure while they're here who don't even understand who you are. God, I pray that you would move inside of their hearts, that you would fill the God-sized hole in their hearts. And God, there are people all across the spectrum in between. People who, who are wrestling with you, people who have questions, God, people who don't understand, who believe, but like the man said to Jesus, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. So God, I pray that you might give them comfort and strength. God, I pray that you would help us all to create an atmosphere that we can hear from you, God, that we would worship you, that we would pray, that we would fast, Lord. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to step out on faith, to use the gifts that you have given us in obedience to you for the advancement of your kingdom, for the advancement of the gospel message. And God, I pray that as we leave this place, that you would give us holy boldness to stand up against the face of the enemy. God, there are people here with so many burdens, so many things weighing heavily on their hearts, so many questions, God. God, I pray that you would meet them at their point of need and that you would be their peace. God, you are able God, you are faithful. God, you are our anchor, that you are our strong tower, God. Help us to rely on you. It is through your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. At this time, if you would take out the the communication card and inside of the communications card, you will find the next steps. If you have the the bulletin, you can pull it out as well. I want to take you through a few next steps. If there's anything that appeals to your heart, feel free to check it off. If you're using the communications card, you're just going to drop it in the the, um, offering basket when it comes around. Number one, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never formally done that before, but maybe God is moving in your heart. Maybe there's some some questions that you have about Jesus and you just want to talk to someone about it. I invite you to check that box off. You can come speak to any one of the pastors. You can go to the next table. We'll be happy to pray for you, pray with you, and help you on this journey. Number two, 
I will ask others to help me pray for and remain patient as I listen for God's calling in my life. So many of us are still searching for what God has called us to do. And I invite you to be in prayer in community. Ask some people to pray for you. And ask them not only for discernment, but also to give you endurance to be patient while you wait. Number three, I will schedule a time of fasting with my small group or other Christian friends before Easter. Maybe you're in a small group, maybe you have other friends, but I invite you to participate in fasting in some way between now and Easter. You know, you gotta have smart goals. I had to give you guys a deadline, right? Before Easter. And if you, you have questions about fasting, you don't know what it means, come speak with one of the pastors. We'll be happy to talk with you more about it and give you more information. Number four, I will say yes to how God has called me to serve him. Some of you already know what God has called you to do and you act like you don't. You're like, God, what do you want me to do? He's like, I told you already. <laughs> do it. So number four, I will say yes. And number five, I will read Acts 13, verses 13 through 43 in preparation for next Sunday. And finally, and this is not an official uh, next step, but if you are carrying something, if you are if you're weighed down by grief, if you've suffered some sort of loss that seems to be a little heavy on you and you still need some help getting through it, I invite you to either write that in on a comment card or come see one of the pastors, come see me. We'll be happy to pray for you and pray with you. Grieving is difficult. It takes time. And no one can tell you how long it's going to take you but we can help you, we can be with you on the journey.